Welcome to iHope. We're here to bring encouragement and comfort from the Bible so that you can have a more hope-filled life. We are so glad you joined us here today, and we invite you to embark on this journey of discovery of the power of God's Word and how it can shape our lives each day. So listen in and join us as we explore how the Bible can provide hope and direction in our lives. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to I Hope from Open Door Baptist Church in Denham Springs, Louisiana. I'm your host for the month of May. My name is Charlie Schaefer, and although, yes, I serve on staff here at Open Door, both on the pastoral staff and as a teacher, I am the church planning pastor of Capernaum Baptist Church in Hammond, Louisiana. So today we are going to look at Lamentations 2 and 3, and I want to talk to you today about God's faithfulness. Now, if you're smart, you figured out two things. Number one, we are reading from Lamentations, and the word lament does not mean joy, or specifically hope. And number two, our podcast is all about hope. So if you figured out those two things, then you're probably wondering what on earth does Lamentations have to do with hope? Well, it has a lot to do with hope because, as we'll see, God is faithful. Now, if God is faithful in the bad, and He's also faithful in the good, then that's better than we are, isn't it? Uh, sometimes we are faithful to our friends when things are going well for us, but we become somewhat more unfaithful, and we change, and there is turning from who we used to be into somebody else, and who our character is not flawless and perfect, therefore it must change in order to become better. God is perfect, though, and He is faithful. Now, I do want to give you just a brief reminder. Uh, our goal here is to, yes, encourage you, yes, to provide you with hope from God's Word, but number two, and really more importantly, is to provide you with a better understanding of God's Word. If we just tell you all the places that hope is found, then that's good. If we tell you how to find hope for yourself, that is great. It's kind of like uh, give a man a fish and you'll feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish and you'll feed him for a lifetime. So, Lamentations 2 is where we're going to pick up. We're going to look in verse 11, and we're going to read through the end of the chapter. Now, this is a lengthy passage, and so as last week, I'm not going to walk through every single verse with an explanation. I'm not going to break apart every thought. So, I do hope that you're in a place where you can pay that attention, as we talked about, where you can give that attention dutifully. Uh, Number one, because it's God's Word, and number two, because it will serve you well. So, Lamentations 2 verse 11. Let's talk about how God is faithful. First, by contrasting the infidelity of Israel. Lamentations 2.11, mine eyes do fail with tears, my bowels or my insides are troubled. My liver is poured out upon the earth for the destruction of the people of, or for the destruction of the daughter of my people. Because the children and the suckling swoon, they faint in the streets of the city. What is happening here? This is a dramatic opening to our study today. Jeremiah is saying that he's fainting, he is sad, and he is sad beyond anything else he's ever felt in his life. He's sad to the saddest that he could possibly be because of the destruction that has come upon Jerusalem. Verse 12, talking about the sucklings, the babies, the children. They say to their mothers, where's the corn and wine? Where's all the food? When they swooned as the wounded in the streets of the city, when their soul was poured out into their mother's bosom. The word soul here means life. So when their life was poured out in their mother's bosom. Another way of saying this today would be as their blood leaked out of them. The children are dying in their mother's arms in Jerusalem. 
What things shall I take to witness for thee? What things shall I liken to thee, O daughter of Jerusalem? He's saying, how on earth can I possibly talk to you? How can I explain to you what's happening? What shall I equal to thee that I may comfort thee, O virgin daughter of Zion? For thy breach is like is great like the sea. Who can heal thee? You have a wound that is that is irreparable. Verse 14, Thy prophets have seen vain and foolish things for thee, and they have not discovered thine iniquity to turn away thy captivity, but have seen for thee false burdens and causes of banishment. He's saying that there were false prophets, prophets in the land who were teaching them wrong truths. Verse 15, All that pass by clap their hands at thee. They're making fun of them. They hiss and wag their head at the daughter of Jerusalem, saying, Is this the city that men call the perfection of beauty, the joy of the whole earth? Verse 16, All thine enemies have opened their mouth against thee. They hiss and gnash their teeth. They say, We have swallowed her up. Certainly this is the day that we looked for. We have found it. We have seen it. The Lord hath done that which he had devised. He hath fulfilled his word that he had commanded in the days of old. He hath thrown down and hath not pitied. And he hath caused thine enemy to rejoice over thee. He hath set up the horn of thine adversaries. Their heart cried unto the Lord, O wall of the daughter of Zion, let tears run down like a river day and night. Give thyself no rest. Let not the apple of thine eye cease. Arise, cry out in the night. In the beginning of the watches, pour out thine heart like water before the face of the Lord. Lift up thy hands toward him for the life of thy young children that faint for hunger in the top of every street. Behold, O Lord, and consider to whom thou hast done this. Shall a woman eat their fruit and children of a span long? That What that means, uh, if we back up, he's encouraging Jerusalem, cry out to your God that he might have mercy on you. And then in verse 20, he says, Behold, O Lord, God, let me have your attention. He encourages everyone else to pray to God. He himself, Jeremiah, prays out to God, cries out to God during this this encampment of the Babylonians around Jerusalem. They besieged the city, which, pause here for just a second, that means that they were gathered around Israel, or around Jerusalem, in a way that no one could leave the city. And no one could come into the city. No supplies, no messengers, no water. And so now a city which used to be the beauty of the land, the pride of Israel, is now just wasted away. People are dying for hunger. Children are crying and starving in the streets alone without their parents because their parents have already died. In verse 20, he says, And consider to whom thou hast done this. He cries out to God, just, just think about who, who you're cursing here by allowing the Babylonians to come do this. Shall the women eat their fruit? What is the fruit of a woman? Is their children. Shall the woman eat their fruit and children of a span long? God, do you really want the women to start cannibalizing their own children because there's nothing else to eat? Shall the priests and the prophet be slain in the sanctuary of the Lord? The young and the old lie on the ground in the streets. My virgins are young women, and my young men are fallen by the sword. Thou hast slain them in the day of thine anger. Thou hast killed and not pitied. Thou hast called as in a solemn day my terrors round about. The idea here is a holy day. It's like God invited all of Jeremiah's worst fears to come eat at the ritual dinner, the Passover supper. That's the idea that he's using. You've called as in a solemn day, a holy day, my terrors round about 
insert the table, so that the day of the Lord's anger none escaped nor remained. Those that I have swaddled and brought up hath my enemy consumed. Even Jeremiah's own children, those that he grew, those that he nurtured, are just dead. Now, if you go to Lamentations 3, this is not a, a positive view. He is in the middle of a grotesque scene. You're not going to see anything that is joyful. You're going to see destruction. You're going to see sorrow. And in Lamentations 3, the first part of it continues to describe some of this. But verse 16 is where we're going to pick up today. So Lamentations 3.16, if you're looking at it, it says this, He hath also broken my teeth with gravel stones. It's as if uh, Jeremiah had no more strength to stand while he looked around himself. And he fell into the dirt, and his teeth, his mouth was just open. It's as if somebody had their boot on his head. And he hath covered me with ashes. Now he's just grieving. He's just so sorrowing over the death that he's seeing. Verse 17, And thou hast removed my soul far off from peace. I forget prosperity. There's not even the thought of goodness. There's not even the thought of prosperity in Jeremiah's mind. Verse 18, And I said, My strength and my hope is perished from the Lord. We've probably been there before. Every moment of our lives that is difficult, you have the choice really to think in terms of God's goodness or my agony. And in this moment, Jeremiah says, my strength and my hope is perished. Now that's bad enough. But then he goes on to describe what many of us feel in times of despair and in difficulty my strength and my, my hope is perished from the Lord. Sometimes we forget that God is good. And in the sadness that we feel, we forget that our strength comes from him. The joy of the Lord is my strength. I will trust in thee. He's a strong tower. I'll run into him and be safe. But when we forget that, our hope is gone. What else do we have? If you really zoom out at the end of the day, if you don't have a purpose given to you from God, everything that you do, all of your life's accomplishments, it's like sitting at a, at a giant table and you get your chips and your chips get shoved back to the middle for another player to play with. It's all over. Everything that you accomplish in your life is literally for nothing if there is no God, if God has not given you purpose. And Jeremiah Forgetting God for just a minute, forgetting Jehovah, the creator, for just a second, realizes that there is nothing. In fact, if you were to go to the book of Ecclesiastes, you're going to read an entire book that proves that point. Under the sun, under the heavens, there is nothing. Everything is vanity. Everything is literally worthless. But the assumed close of that, the, the, the point that he's making is under the sun, yeah, nothing matters. Over the sun, over the heavens, where God resides, that's where it matters. And in this moment, we see Jeremiah, my hope is perished from the Lord. But then chapter or verse 19 changes the scene. It's a new paragraph. And he says this, Remembering mine affliction and my misery, the wormwood and the gall, my soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. Now that's a good place to start. So, by the way, if you feel like 
like your hope is gone because God doesn't care about you. That's that's very um, conceited of you to think that you are, first off, worthy, really, of God's care. The fact is he chooses to care. And even if he were to stop choosing to care, he would still be vindicated and justified in that. But the fact is still that he does care. And so thankfully, we can be thankful for that. We can be praising him of that and the fact that he does care. But then in verse 20, he says that my soul has remembrance in the sorrow that I'm feeling and even in the bitterness of the moment. And my soul is humbled in me. I realize that I don't, God doesn't owe anything to me. I'm humbled. And maybe I have a different perspective than my first knee-jerk reaction to losing hope. And this I recall to my mind, verse 21, therefore have I hope. And he's going to go on to explain what it is it that he's recalling to his mind that gives hope. It says this in verse 22. And just, just relish in these verses. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. Well, it sounds a lot like there was destruction and consummation here in Jerusalem. And there was to some degree, but it was not total. God did not totally destroy. Much like in, in the days of Noah, God did not totally wipe out the human race. He saved some. And it's of his mercies that he saved some. Fast forward, when Moses is carrying the people out of Israel, or out of uh, Egypt into Israel, and there was that moment where they started to complain and complain and complain, and even God himself, his patience was exhausted. And Moses almost had to talk God off the ledge. Moses says, no, don't destroy the people you promised them. Be faithful to that, and God does. It's of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed, because his compassions fail not. So why, are, why is God not this person, this God who just destroys and just tears apart? Because he would be justified in doing so. It would not be wrong for him to punish all the sin that he sees and to punish it totally with utter vengeance, with utter destruction and utter end to all of creation as we know it. Why does he not do that? Because his compassions do not fail. He is compassionate on those who love him. He is compassionate on the effort, though stinky and terrible as it might be for us to please him, he is still compassionate on our desire to do that. He loves us. It is of his compassions, his mercies, that we are not consumed. It says this of his compassions, they are new every morning, great is thy faithfulness. Sometimes we split those thoughts. His compassions are new every morning, and also God is faithful. But those go together. God's compassions never fail. They're new every single day. Now, is God infinite? Yes. Is his compassion thereby infinite? Yes. And if he renews his infinite compassion, then there is no end. He's renewing infinity. Like he's just, he's creating new compassion every day. His compassions never fail. They're new every morning. And great is his faithfulness. The understood here is to love us despite our failure. Great is his faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. Verse 25, the Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. It is a good thing, or it is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. 
it's really just a good thing to have to wait on God. Now, that's typically not how we feel in the moment of waiting. But if we wait, then we renew and we get stronger. Um, I like the world of the gym rat, and I know very much that there have been seasons where I've trained, I've lifted heavy weights, and continued to do it for a lot of hours each day and every day. And so there's a season last year where I trained two hours a day, six or seven days a week if I could. And I just, I was wiped. Like I couldn't do anything during the day that involved my mind. I got uh, just, just bored of it. And honestly, I didn't get really any stronger during that period. I never really uh, got bigger. Like my muscles didn't grow. I didn't feel like I could lift more weight. And it was because I wasn't letting myself rest. And sometimes that's how we treat the spiritual life. We never wait on God. We're always trying to play God's part for him. And first off, uh, if you've ever lifted something that's too heavy for you, you know that you can only do it once, and you're probably not going to do it with good form, and you're going to end up hurting yourself. People have moved couches, and they've thrown their backs out, or they've lifted up uh, the TV that really they should have had somebody help with, and they end up injuring themselves. It's because they're being... Uh, foolish by trying to do something that is bigger than they can handle. And then sometimes we even try to do things that are bigger than we can handle more times than just one. And we try to continue to do it and continue to do it and continue to do it. And that's what it's like whenever we live a life that is full of trying to do God's job. It is too big for us and we keep trying to do it longer and longer and longer than we can handle. Wait, I say upon the Lord. It is a good thing. And we can hope, and we can also quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. We don't have to be always celebrating the, the thing that hasn't happened yet. Quietly waiting for the salvation of the Lord does not mean that you're always going around prophesying all the good that's going to happen. And, and although there is a time for that, sometimes people get so obsessed with the good that's going to come out of their situation that they forget the good that is in their situation. Jeremiah is not here saying that he's excited for the future. He's saying that he's thankful for the God of now. In fact, he's even thankful for the God of the past that is allowing the destruction of Jerusalem. He's not focused on the future. His point is not Jerusalem's restoration. His point is the fact that God didn't completely destroy it. And that's why he's thankful for God's faithfulness. How backwards do we get this sometimes? It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. And sometimes we find ourselves in these, in these dark moments. We think of ourselves as somebody who is just stuck, someone who is godless, not that we don't believe in him, but that he's left us. And it seems like we've lost all of our hope from the Lord. But call this to your mind. Remember, number one, your humility. The fact that you're really not all that and that you can't fix your own situation. That'll humble you enough to the point where you can stop looking at yourself and start looking at God. And once you do that, you will turn your eyes upon Jesus and look him full in his wonderful face. And you will see the beauty that is there, the faithfulness that is there. If God is just and he is holy, 
those two things go together, but in a different box we have his mercy, his mercy and his compassion. We could boil these down to, on one hand we have his holiness, and on the other we have his love. If God is holy, that means that he punishes sin. If God is loving, that means he forgives sin. Now, how can God truly be infinitely holy and infinitely loving? It seems like there's a contradiction. It is an apparent contradiction, not a true contradiction, though. And if you pay attention to the story of the scriptures, Jesus is the fulfillment of both. God's holiness is poured out on Jesus. The judgment for sin was fully meted out, fully given. The wages of sin was death, and Jesus died. But it's the gift of God to give us eternal life. Also, zoom out of your life from this one situation. Sometimes our, our focus is hopeless. And we, we forget that God is faithful. We forget who He is, and we forget that He is holy, and He has every right in the world to make our lives hard sometimes. Uh, he also has the right just to totally destroy us. So it's faithful and compassionate that he doesn't. But on top of that, zoom out from just literally your lifetime into the the overarching time frame of Scripture, from creation to eternity future. You will live if you are saved because of the cross, because of his salvation, in a life that has passed the pain that you feel now. Do you think that Jeremiah was lamenting the destruction of Jerusalem when he got to heaven? I don't think so. And sometimes we focus on our current circumstances so much that we forget that God is the one who controls it all, and we forget that God is the one who controls it all. Not just all of our circumstances, but all of everything. He is in control, and he's already saved you. So this circumstance that you might be in that is hopeless and where you feel like your hope is failing you from God, it's not because he is faithful from end to end, from eternity unto eternity. And so you're going to live with him in heaven forever and ever, and there is no need to treat this circumstance as if it really matters in eternity because it doesn't. Christ's suffering on the cross was bearable for him because there was an eternity ahead. Your suffering in this life, for you to live is to be like Christ. But to die, that's gain. So what's the worst case scenario of your suffering right now? You lost your job, you run out of money, you starve, and you die. And then you go to heaven and you get to live in eternity forever with the King of kings and the Lord of lords, with all the riches that he possesses bestowed upon you as a co-heir with Christ. So what? The job that we lost, that you lost, has now turned into your greatest blessing ever. So zoom out for just a second and look at God's faithfulness. I think if we just keep him in our focus, then everything else goes through the lens of God, not God through the lens of us. And if I can leave you with just one thing, it is this. Keep God as your lens. Keep your view of God as the primary way that you look at life. I promise you, if you learn to do that, or if you remember to do that, if you already know, then your life will change drastically. Your, your quality of life will grow up. You will grow in your faith. You will desire the Bible, even in those moments where it feels like your hope is gone. And your relationship with Jesus will soar.
Walking the dusty roads with Jesus no longer becomes this concept. It becomes reality for you in your daily life. That's where I want each and every one of you. That's where I want myself. Have a great week. Keep God in mind. And I will see you on next week's episode of I Hope. Thanks for taking time to listen. If you've been encouraged by I Hope, why not share it with a friend or leave us a review? Until next week, God bless.